I'm Sandra, and I'm just the professional your small business was looking for. But you didn't hire me because you didn't use LinkedIn jobs. LinkedIn has professionals you can't find anywhere else, including those who aren't actively looking for a new job, but might be open to the perfect role, like me. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't visit other leading job sites. So if you're not looking on LinkedIn, you'll miss out on great candidates like Sandra. Start hiring professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Millions of people have lost weight with personalized plans from Noom. Like Evan, who can't stand salads and still lost 50 pounds. Salads generally for most people are the easy button, right? For me, that wasn't an option. I never really was a salad guy. That's just not who I am. But Noom worked for me. Get your personalized plan today at Noom.com. Real Noom user compensated to provide their story. In four weeks, the typical Noom user can expect to lose one to two pounds per week. Individual results may vary. Hello everyone and welcome to the second of our interviews with Elizabeth Chadwick. This week, Elizabeth gives her insights about Eleanor of Aquitaine. Okay, so I'm here with Elizabeth Chadwick. Uh, we've spoken before about William Marshall, but of course you've written a lot about Eleanor of Aquitaine yes. as well, haven't you? So I'm going to ask you some of the same questions actually. That's fine. Why Eleanor? Well, this will be the same answer, some of it, and yeah. as I gave to William Marshall in that uh, you can't write about the 12th century without coming across Eleanor of Aquitaine. Yeah. And you, um, you wonder about her. What, what was she really like? Who are you? And again, what can you tell me that you've not told anyone before? Boy, did she tell me a lot. Yeah. Um, so then I start researching, and the more I research, the more interested I become, and the more curious, and the more I want to dig. So, so that's why Eleanor. Right. It's, it's my personal nosiness. So Eleanor was is very is very interesting to me because it seems there are an awful lot of myths, both yeah. contemporary with her and more recent. Yeah. Did you have any of those in your mind when you started? When I when I started, well, I think I got them in my mind because I sort of looked read some of some yeah. of her, some of her biographies and I knew um, I, I knew the ones such as the um, her supposed affair with um, her uncle in Antioch, and uh, of course this whole um, line in winter relationship with Henry II. But there were other things. What um, began to make me wonder about what what I'd been uh, been fed, if you like, yeah. was I thought, well, I wonder what Eleanor looks like. And having read novels, and even in earlier novels myself, thinking of her as having this long, dark hair, mm. uh, I thought, well, if I'm going to write a full, proper novel about her, I need to know what she right. looked like. So I went to look, and there isn't, uh, there are no contemporary descriptions mm. of Eleanor whatsoever, none. There are a couple of depictions. One is on her tomb, which doesn't show her hair or anything. There's a, a church window, which again just shows some really with some nice clothes. There's a psalter, which shows a grey-haired lady, which is in debate as to whether it's Eleanor or not. But I went to those biographies to have a look at what mm. they said. This, this is supposedly factual information about Eleanor. One of them said that she was um, black-eyed, black-eyed Eleanor. This was W.L. Warren, who's de- right. generally a quite a respected historian. Yes, no, no source. Right. Uh, another one said, went on, she was a black-eyed beauty with a curvaceous figure that never ran to fat in old age. No source. <laughs> uh, another one, I think it was Marion Mead, had her as um, a saucy, hot-blooded, blue-eyed blonde. 
So here we've got a black-haired, black-eyed, we've yeah. got a blue-eyed blonde, no source. Alison Weir had her as a green-eyed redhead. There is that picture, is it there? There's a picture on a wall with her. Uh, in she not, but it's not her. Right. Don't get, yeah, that's another another of the myths right. that goes with her. It's a man. Right. It's the young, probably the young king, because it's got a, a shoulder pin, a cloak pinned right. upon the shoulder, and no woman ever dresses like that, right. ever. It's a male cultural dress. Right. I've been researching it in detail. Okay. I'm going to have to change my logo then. Uh, yes. <laughs> That's funny. Um, <laughs> it's and if it's like 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 the yeah. queen turning up turning up in a man's suit right. to a gig. Yeah, that's that's how yeah. different it is. Yeah. yeah. So there's there's all these different supposedly factual impressions all of Eleanor. All unsupported. Yeah. Um, the only thing that might support her being a blonde is that she had a relative back in the 11th century called William the Towhead. Um, so that was fascinating. So I realised that the biographies half the time were making it up as they went along. Yeah. The other thing was that the biographies and some historians said that Eleanor got a half-brother called Jocelyn. Right. And I thought, oh, well, if I'm writing a novel, I've got to know mm. about it. Because apparently she, he was so important to her that she gave, that he, that, um, she gave him some land in Sussex at Petworth. Uh, and Alison Weir said, it's mentioned in the pipe rolls. So off I went to the pipe rolls, mm. which are um, books of accounts for the period, which... And there, sure enough, was Jocelyn, um, brother of the Queen, given so much land at Petworth. Um, trouble is, it doesn't say which queen. It right. turns out to be Queen Adeliza of Louvain, second right. queen of Henry the right. who had a half brother called Jocelyn and gave him land at Petworth. Right. Um, and then he went on and married one of the Percys and started yeah. the Percy family. So it's nothing to do with Eleanor yeah. of Aquitaine, and yet there it is, solid in the history books, along with her hair colour. Yeah. And it's wrong. Yes. So it's me asking, who are you? Yeah. Who were? You? And how am I going to find out? From because the biography sure as heck don't know. <laughs> Uh, you know. Yes, I think we we were just talking uh, a moment ago, weren't we? That we want to to be a particular kind of person. Exactly. And I guess that's the same now in wanting her to be a sort of a powerful, independent, autonomous woman. In the past, also they also projected their own prejudices on her, didn't they? they she did. had this all the way through her life and history. That's very true. Um, I would rec- definitely recommend a book actually by a man called Michael Evans, right? Called Inventing Eleanor. Okay, which looks at yeah. how the legends have come about, and in his own words, he says, I'm, I'm paraphrasing, but how she has become very, very different to the 12th century queen she was, mm. because we've put so much detritus on her. Yeah. Um, there's the legends from her own time about her having affairs with various people mm. um, to blacken the, the Angevin family name. Um, then there are the ballads written in the 17th century for just for entertainment, um, where she went out and poisoned Rosamond de Clifford and had an affair with William Marshall and had his child, right. um, which yes. in, is patently impossible yeah. because apparently in this ballad she, William Marshall takes her virginity, but seeing um, William Marshall wasn't born until she'd been married for at least ten yeah. years to the King of France, it can't have been. And she, had an, she had an affair in one with Saladin, didn't she? Oh, yes, that was another one. Something. Yes, yeah, that's right, yes. So she's telling all these affairs, yeah. she's... And then she gets, um, oh, the Stricklands get hold of her and have her bombing about the Holy Land with one breast exposed. Yeah. And um, that's all been debunked now. Then there's Amy Kelly's Courts of Love, where she was supposedly sitting with her daughter, judging men for um, lovers' crimes right. um, in, in uh, Aquitaine uh, in 1168, which never happened either. Mm. And then you get Catherine Hepburn doing the full Lion in Winter thing. Ah, but surely, come on, that's got to be right. You're trying to tell me Catherine he- Hepburn was not a... No, no? I, I, I have to leave the room if Catherine Hepburn comes on. <laughs> I cannot that right? stand that film. It's Catherine <laughs> Hepburn being Catherine Hepburn. Yes, and um, indeed Peter O'Toole being Peter O'Toole. Tool. 
But I do love The Devil's Crown. It's like you can find it on YouTube. Mm. Um, it's a BBC from the 1970s starring right. Jane Lapatea. Just Aaron mm. Lapatea. And Jane Lapatea is spot on. Right, okay. I'll look that up. So, yes. In fact, Jane yes. Lapatea wrote to me uh, and, and said she'd really loved my Eleanor of Aquitaine oh, novels. Really Out of the blue. Yeah. So it's thought, well, I loved your Eleanor Aquitaine. So... Uh, Superb. But it, like all those Catherine, Catherine Hepburn's performance, and most people love it, I'm, I know I'm an exception, um, she's part of the inventing Eleanor that's gone on. We see her as this sort of kick-ass feminist. Mm. Everybody says, oh, she was ahead of her time. She wasn't. She mm. was of her time. Yeah. She was a fascinating, interesting woman who, who had tremendous stamina and tremendous emotional resilience, mm. but she was still a woman of her time. And the amount of power she wielded was very much dependent on men. Right. Either on husbands, who didn't let her have any, or mm-hmm. locked her up, or on a son who gave her authority during his absence. Mm-hmm. And when he returned, she retired to a, mon- a convent. Right. If, okay, so let's start off. Fine, great. That's <laughs> setting, the, setting the standard, isn't it? So, okay, so... And we don't know much about her childhood, do we? But she ends up as being quite a prize, if that's the right word to use. Uh, yes, the one of the childhood things, again, that's uh, been in debate but now looks to be really coming down on the side of it is that she was married at the age of 13 right. to Louis, Prince of France, mm. um, when her father when her father passed away. Mm. She was heir to, heir to Aquitaine. And so and Louis' father died soon after that, so by the summer of that year of being 13 years old, she was Queen of France. Mm. But she's 13 years old. Yeah. Now, the age of majority then was 12. Yeah. Um, but even so, when you think of a 13-year-old yeah, girl isn't it? Yeah. versus... Um, middle-aged politicians, ecclesiastes and a lot. 13-year-old girl's not going to be ruling France. She might have an, have an effect on her young husband, who's yeah. only 17. They're yeah. a pair of teenagers together. But um, they're not exactly going to be um, dominating the um, the political yeah. arena. Louis VII gets a rather bad press, it always seems mm. to me. What do you think that, that relationship is like? What do we know about that? Um, well, people to say about that he was infatuated and passionate about mm-hmm. Eleanor, but at the same time um, that he was monkish. So you've got yes. complete opposites there. Um, but I think they were different aspects, different parts of his life. I mm. think um, that people change. We tend to sometimes see people as being static when they're not. Mm. I think that he was he was quite passionate about her, but he had been um, destined for the church. So mm. he got a conflict going on between religion, um, you know, versus this secular life. He was known an abbot Suger comments on it that he had a terrible temper and we have backup of that where um, someone rebelled against him and uh, he took a sword and chopped off their hands and feet. Mm. He also burned an entire village in Vitry uh, inside their church but I think that was perhaps a watershed for him and and turned him perhaps towards the religious side and it was like oh no Mm, yes what have I done Um, perhaps turned him into more a monk. I mean Eleanor's supposed to have said I married a monk I do suspect, um, though this is a theory and it's not proven, mm. um, but I do suspect that in the end, Louis had trouble on with the, the bedroom side of things mm. unless it was really big time sanctioned mm. by the church. Right. So um, every time you find a child being born, if you click back nine months earlier, right. you'll find a big religious ceremony. Right. I've ended up counting on my fingers. Is that right? Okay. Seriously. Um, so... Um, Eleanor and he um, implored the church for a child, and she'd given him a beautiful vase. You can now see it in the oh, Louvre. Yes. Yeah. Um, it's been tarted up a bit by Abbot Suger, but um, 
the ba- the, the middle of it's very much as Eleanor presented it to Louis as a, as a wedding gift. They gave that that vase to the church um, and in supplication for a child. Right. And um, like so, there was obviously some sort of ceremony going on with yeah. vase giving. And nine months later, Eleanor has a daughter. Interesting. Um, they go on crusade. They yeah. come back. Uh, their marriage is in trouble, but the Pope says, "Oh, come on, have a kiss and make up, and yeah. here's a lo- here's a lovely bed, and I'll bless it for you." Right. Nine months later, she has right. a second daughter, um, and then, of course, she went off with Henry. Louis gets married, so he's having marriage ceremony, bedding ceremony. Nine months later, right. he has a daughter. Right. Right, and then um, then he has another daughter. I'm not quite sure what happened with that one. Um, but it was it must have been her churching ceremony because the child's born more or less straight on the heel right, of the next okay. one so churching ceremony right. and a little later than that Thomas Beckett gets exiled he goes to France blesses we know he blesses Louis and nine months later Does along that... comes the son Philip okay. who's called the God given yes so it's you... a great theory doesn't it it sounds like you, you've convinced me it's right. really quite strong it's, yeah. it's striking when you look at the timing and you count back nine months every time well I understand that if you did everything the church told you to do then you could have sex on 52 days of the year. Something like that. It wasn't very often. No. So, um, yeah, so Adana was always up against it for producing a son. Right. um, Because she'd have to sort of get some big ceremony going. And, and of course, on Crusade, um, Louis very possibly took took vows of chastity. So so when Adana got to court at the age of 13, do you think she faced a very different situation? I think she had a lot of difficulties because she got um, quite um, a strong mother-in-law who in her lifetime witnessed um, many, many more charters than Eleanor ever did. Mm. So she was a player who Eleanor had to face and deal with. Mm. She got Bernard of Clairvaux, possibly writing things about her, you know, without actually naming her. Mm. And she got her sister Petronella, who got into terrible trouble for um, um, having an affair with a married man, with, and Eleanor sorted them out of marriage, which ended up causing all kinds of trouble. Mm. So the, uh, she intervenes then in that situation. She intervenes on behalf on, of her sister. On behalf of her sister. So that's like a, a personal, a domestic situation that then yes. went went badly pear shaped mm. and uh, caused a lot of trouble. I don't think that politically she she had a lot of say yeah. as queen when she was queen of France. I think politically all the time she was uh, on the back foot. Right. One of the things that always astounded me was that they get divorced. Well, there were no there were no male heirs, yeah. and the King of France, you have to have a male heir. Right. So I think um, that that was a big part of it. I don't think Eleanor was happy in the marriage either, mm-hmm. because there was all this. While they were on crusade, she asked Louis for an annulment, mm-hmm. and Abbe Suger sort of broke from France and said no, 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 because he could see the land disappearing. Yeah. I think she was ready ready to get out of the marriage. Mm-hmm. Definitely, um, I think that was perhaps one of the reasons in Antioch. I mean, she's supposed to, there's the claim that she had an affair with her uncle, but that's um. No, uh, I don't think that's that's a starter at all. But he was her uncle, and so he was, if you like, head of the family, even though not actually the Duke of Aquitaine or anything. He was like a male head of her family, who she could look to for succour. So it's like, I will stop with you, and Louis can go off on his own. Mm. Um, And I'm here um, safe with a male relative. Right. Um, But Louis wasn't having any of that, and, you know, more or less tied her up and forced her to come with him. Um, so I think that's partly what that was about. Yeah. Eleanor was determined to have a divorce, um, and it didn't happen. And then the Pope obviously bound them more closely together, uh, and the marriage just kept on going rotten once they got home. And they did, they did get an annulment. Right. Um, but yes, I think with Louis, it was well. I've got two girls and this this wife who hates me. Yes. So, <laughs> but Eleanor, or you dislikes think, me. Yeah. 
So Eleanor had, although the the reason may well be a good traditional one that they needed a son, Eleanor is is an agent in that. I think she's an agent in that. Yeah. Um, But I don't think she would have got the annulment without Louis' consent. It was still Louis' end prerogative to actually choose to do it. Yes. So we have this separation then, which is quite dramatic, isn't it? Mm. Um, well, yes. They well, they they had meetings to decide who got what and and um, to agree the withdrawal process. Mm. But then Eleanor um, headed off um, back to Aquitaine and was nearly abducted by a couple of people, Theobald of Blois, who thought that she might make a, a tasty wife. Yeah. Because she was still only in her late twen- mid to late twenties at that stage. Yeah. And um, also Henry II's brother, Geoffrey, also tried to abduct her, but she managed to evade them both. Um, she married Henry II, well, he wasn't Henry II at the time, but Henry, the young Duke of Normandy, sometime short, soon after coming yeah. coming home to Aquitaine. Well, it was obvious that she couldn't remain alone for long because mm. um, all the vultures were circling um, to get her. She had to marry someone pretty damn fast. And Henry had been at court while the divorce was being negotiated. What isn't always noted was that when Henry came to court during the time of the court of the divorce negotiation he'd come for other purposes mm. was that his father was with him Geoffrey LaBelle now his father was only 38 mm. and uh, who's head of the family there who tried to get um, a marriage with Henry to um, Louis and Eleanor's daughter Marie mm. uh, a few years earlier right so who wants to get Aquitaine into the family? Yes, you know, it's Geoffrey. It's, it's, uh, yeah. So often you will see it, see it in the biographies and everything. Yeah. Did Henry and um, Eleanor get it together? Yes. Did they do this? Did, were they passionate then? Um, and I'm thinking, well, uh, there's another man involved here. More likely to be Geoffrey. I think there's a strong possibility mm. that Geoffrey is involved in this. He's head of the family. Yeah. Um, he knows the divorce is going through. He knows that Aquitaine would be a nice little package in with the rest of it. And there is a rumour at the time, isn't there, that Geoffrey and... and Eleanor uh, was supposed to have had an affair. That's yeah. another of those things. I don't think yes. that's true at all. But I can... And he warned, He supposedly warned Henry off her. Mm. I don't think he did that at all because it was one of the... Because I think it was Gerald of Wales who said it. Right. Um, who's... who's pinch of salt, yes. Um, but I, <clears> on the basis of no smoke without fire, I think that possibly he took Henry to one side and said... Look, she's nine years old. I married a woman nine years older, and you have to be so careful with them because, because you know that they'll they'll take the bit between the teeth if you let them. You know, look at my marriage to your your mother Matilda. Right. You know, just be careful. <laughs> you gave some father, I have father a, I have an idea yeah. that he probably gave advice because his own marriage had been so right. similar. Yeah. In that that respect, an yes, older the Empress Matilda famously yes, uh, an older yeah, a uh, woman above his own rank, mm. and at this point. Henry's Duke of Normandy, and she's Queen of France. She's got all of Aquitaine. So there's an older woman above yeah. his rank. Right. So I have a strong suspicion. And I think that because Geoffrey then went and, went and got a chill and died mm. very shortly after, I think he just gets shoved into yes. the side, and nobody ever thinks who else was there at the court. Yeah. So they, But they do get married, Eleanor and, and Henry. Yes. And obviously have a very long uh, career together. Tell me something about what happens, what your view about that first period of their marriage until you know the eleven seventy three before rebellion. Um, I think they probably got on got on pretty pretty right. pretty well at the yeah. outset. I, I think Henry was um uh, they, they were probably both attracted to attracted mm. to each other. Um they had um various um things to do in common. They were still young young enough to be flexible. 
Um, and I think Henry was, as a young man, um, flexible, joyful, outgoing. Mm. I think it just all got hardened and nerled and nasty yeah. when he got older, um, especially when his children grew up and started vying for that power. Mm. But here he is, he's a young man on, on the up on fortune's wheel. And I, so I think at the outset they made a really good fist of it. I mean, he did leave Eleanor in um, as um, regent with help mm. in England in those early years, and they, she was busy producing children, one a year, uh, or every yes. other year, at the outset. So they were being pretty prolific in that department. Yeah. Um, so you think Eleanor would be, what sort of role do you think she would have had there? I think um, she would have had a diplomatic role, because the Queen, as meter, greeter and peacemaker, is a vitally important role in medieval mm. queens. Mm. Um, and also the, the kinship and connection bonds that they can bring together. Um and a little bit of child raising on the side, because although there were royal nurses and everything, um, up to the age of seven, the children would have been in the household, and she'd have had bits of childcare to do. Mm. Um, not the probably not not the feeding and wiping, yeah. but uh, of that bit of ed- educating, mm. I think. Um, and also, she was uh, doing doing a bit of regency stuff when he was away in those early years. He left her with with other advisors. Um, so it wasn't she wasn't regent on her own, um, but there were executive decisions, chairman of the board decisions to be right. taken. So she's um, involved. So she's involved at that stage. Um, in eleven fifty eight, I think they invade Toulouse. Do you think that's got anything to do with Eleanor? I don't. Do I that's... thought I, I initially I thought it did because um, I always thought it was part of the land that she'd always felt they should had. I mean, Louis had had a bash of it, bashed mm. it, and now Henry. So that suggests that she, Eleanor might have had had notions of um, of Henry going into Toulouse and getting this land back for her. But to be honest, um, I'm still, I'm still not, not quite sure about it. Mm. Um, so I'm that, that's sort of sitting on the fence yeah. thinking, yes, no, I put yes in my novels, but mm. um, I'm, I'm open to... Henry's person invading, capable of invading Toulouse all by him. Mm, I think so. so. I think there are perhaps other issues going on, but not yeah. the ones that I've explored enough to be able to, able yeah. to talk about in detail. Um, I do think with Henry and Eleanor that Henry, well, well Henry was an alpha male, always mm. an alpha male. So he's always going to be the one in charge, definitely. He's got a wife who's nine years older than he is, um, a woman of the world, and in fact um, a woman who was dealing with his own father in, in woman of the world terms while he was still sucking his comfort blanket. Mm. So she was of his father's, if you like, generation and... She'd also, she'd been to the Holy Land, she got life experience way ahead of his. So I think he was wary of her um, because, you know, she's this step above, Mm. um, which I think is also the reason why Henry always had very young mistresses. They're all young teenagers who aren't going to challenge him. You know, it goes, goes, it's a complete pattern. So the implication is that Eleanor was challenging him. She had her advice. Uh, She had her... I, I don't know. No, the, the implication is that he thought she might challenge him, right? You know, right, um, and she might do. She might. She she would be a woman who wouldn't just sit there and go, oh, "Yes, Henry." She'd go, "But don't you think?" Or what about that? Yeah. Um, really, or yeah. I think we ought to do this, and he'd be like, mm, "I'm not yeah. sure about that." You yeah. know. So. Uh, yes, she, was a she wasn't a yes reference. woman. Yeah, yes, indeed. Um, yeah. So, and then <coughs> um, she spent some time back in Aquitaine, doesn't she? Eleven sixty eight. She went back to Aquitaine. Yes, um, but she went with um, Henry's um, governor, yes. Patrick of Salisbury. Um, she didn't just she um, you know she had Henry's men round her as it were, uh, 
I don't know whether it was this was a form of separation because she by now had her last child, mm. John, born in 11, 1166. Um, so perhaps there was some form of separation, I don't know. But the amount of land they had was so great that someone had to be somewhere always. Um, so do you think that, about how it. Much, how much political control do you think she had at that stage in Aquitaine? I think the polit- I don't think she had had that much political control. I think I think Henry had the reins. Mm. I think that's part, probably part part of what the rebellion was about. Right. Um, when we come up to the eleven seventies, um, I think that that was one of the catalysts. Mm. Um, I think the final straw was that I think it was the Count of Toulouse came to do homage to the um, the Angevin family, as it were, and did homage for um, did homage to Henry and didn't do and the young king. But didn't do homage to Eleanor, right? And um, I think she felt that she was being undermined. I think that was probably the last straw in a lot of straws that we haven't, we perhaps don't know all yeah. of them. But it was that undermining of I'm the Duchess of Aquitaine. Why is he, and hit the counter to lose being an old enemy? Why is he not bowing to me? Why is he bowing to you? Yeah. You know how dare you? And by him not acknowledging her, it means that Aquitaine is going even more into Henry's pocket. Yeah. And I think, um, I mean the. The rebellion of the sons was over. Um, Henry taking land from um, or castles from his eldest son and handing them over to um, John, who was still a child, as part of John's marriage settlement. And it was the young king going, "You can't do that. You know what about me? You've yeah. given me nothing." And I think with El- with Eleanor, with her sons and that rebellion, I think it was like I have a choice. I have my husband and the past and what he's doing and, and what he's doing. Or I have my sons who are my flesh and, and they are my, they are the future. Mm. So who am I going to support? I would come to that moment. It would be really interesting to talk about the dynamic. Before going <coughs> to that, do, do you have any impression, I guess it's very difficult to know, yeah. but what her attachment was to Aquitaine? Very often people paint it as, you know, kind of emotional attachment between her and land or her and people of Aquitaine that she, that she never quite lost. Do you think that's true or do you think that's, mm. you know... To be honest, I don't know. She was very peripatetic in in, mm. in in her lifetime. But it's it is her childhood roots, the home of her childhood. Um so there must be that I think must be the definitely that connection there. Political rule there, she's never really had any when you look at it at all, because she'd left it when she was thirteen. But she has that those thirteen years mm. with with family, with parents, with grandparents. So I think there must be some emotional connection there. And these families were all still the same families, weren't they, in Aquitaine? Mm. And they're all families that her father and her grandfather yes. had dealt with. So, so I think there must be some emotional connection mm. there. But um, like everybody, it's, it is open to, to that speculation. Yeah. You can't really... Uh, re- there's not really yes. that much yes. written, written yeah. about it. Nothing um, so, so then, yes, as you say, we get to this big moment where she decides to side with her sons in rebellion against Henry II. Yes. Why do you think she does that? And I think it's because she probably thought Henry was being unfair and um, she was being basically undermined in her own her own lands. Even if she hadn't had that much of a say in her own lands, to see that blatant undermining is, um, is probably one of the catalysts. Mm. Her sons were growing up. Her eldest son and heir, young Henry, he was married, he got, got a household, and yet his father was now taking his castles away and handing them over to his youngest son. Mm. And I think she would probably have seen that as, as being very wrong as well. And I also think perhaps she had no choice. She was, you know, stuck in the, between, between two grindstones. Mm-hmm. She had to choose which way to jump. 
to yeah. Henry or to her sons. Her sons were born of her body mm. and they were the future. Mm. And so you go for the future yeah. and not the past. I was wondering if they'd won and they weren't that far away from no, it, what no. they'd have done with Henry the Second, Henry himself. I, I, I wonder. I, I do wonder what they would have done with Dad. <laughs> um, whether, whether they'd have shut him up at Old Sarum, but I suspect yeah. not. Um, he probably would have had had to die somehow. Yeah, very possibly. Yeah, sort of Richard the Second situation, maybe. Yes. Uh, but they, of course, he doesn't. He doesn't lose. He, he wins. What impact does that have on Eleanor's? Life? Eleanor was supposedly um, caught fleeing to the French court, um, disguised as a man. What's one? Only one chronicler says this, so oh, exactly. we don't know if it's true or not. Hmm. I mean, it could be just the chronicler um, going because Eleanor was behaving in a non-womanly way. Right that um, he dressed her in man's male clothes just to add further opprobrium to her, you know. So, but whatever happened, she was she was apprehended on her way to the French court and imprisoned, kept under house arrest, and eventually under house arrest at Old Serum um, and guarded quite closely for a while. Do we know of anything of her life during that? Um, but the pipe rolls do say that later on she was allowed a saddle, was a saddle provided and clothes and robes. Mm. This was later on, but in about seven or eight years into it, I think, so she was allowed to go out riding and things like that. But it seems at the outset that she was um, kept under fairly close house arrest. Having said that, I think um, the young king would have come to visit her because he he had permission to build a muse for his hawks. So perhaps he took mum out hawking later on. There was at one point where Henry, I think it was 1176, Henry was actively seeking to divorce her right. and suggested that she might like to become a nun at Fontevraud. But the interesting thing is that the convent at Amesbury was in need of an abbess and Amesbury was um, a Fontevraud daughter house. Oh, right. So he could have been looking at her to become the new abbess of Amesbury. Yeah. So I think he was hoping that she'd, she'd agreed mm. and, and she refused. And so it never came about. Who was he hoping to marry in her stead? Who knows? It wasn't Rosamond de Clifford, certainly. Right. Because, you know, he's a king. He's got to have somebody a bit a bit more important than... When does Rosamond Cl- uh, Clifford appear? Not till 1173, I don't right. think. Gerald of Wales. People tend to say the affair began in 1166 when he was in the Welsh marches. Nobody knows when, when they got, got together. Hmm. She, he might have loved her a lot, but really she was still, um, in the big scheme of things, a mistress and a baronial nobody. Yeah. So it's not somebody that he's suddenly going to, to put a wedding right. ring on. What's your view on what he became during that period? I think he was awful. Yeah. I think he was um, abusive. I think he was a, he was a control freak. Everything yeah. had to be under his thumb, right. and that included Eleanor. So eventually Eleanor's freed by his his death. And yeah. what, what happens? How does she react? What, when when she was, uh, she got a, a message that whenever she re- received the letter of his death, she made a decree freeing prisoners from the various jails around the place. Right saying she knew how refreshing it was not oh, to be a prisoner. And then she had William Marshall came to see her. He brought letters from Henry. Right. Um, so she'd be the fir- he was one of the first to greet, um, which shows, again, the relationship between Eleanor and the, and the Marshall, that he was one of the first to be come to her um, with his new shiny status. Yes. I'm going to be, I've been given an heiress. <laughs> I'm off going to get married. Um, but there was this, and here are you know, letters for her from... And then she took up, started immediately... Um, keep getting the country running. She was Richard's surrogate while he was still abroad. So do you think now she begins to have the kind of... I think so. ...something approaching the influence that... I think so, absolutely. How does that work? Uh, is she made formally regent? Is, she, is it this soft power and influence? I don't think she was made formally regent, but she was yeah. like given letters of 
you know, I suppose um, letters of proof, if you like. You know, mum's in charge till I get I, I get here, but right. so and so will help her, and so and so will help her, and, and if she asks you for this, then give it. And so, so it's informally formal, mm. right. okay. <laughs> which is which sounds like a contradiction, yeah, but it's it's not it's not um, you know, mum's wearing the crown. It's yeah. you know, mum's in charge till I till I arrive, like the justice are. And this was how, how it was set up when Richard went um, prepared to go on crusade. She was left with very authority and various things to do and get on with. And um, although, of course, she left the country um, shortly after the start, after after Richard, to go and fetch his bride. Right. Um, so, of course, other people were ruling the country in her absence. But when there were problems, she had to turn around and come straight back, which suggests that she was sitting at the head of the round table. Mm-hmm. You know, she was chairman of the board. Right. But there were other people who could do it while she was away for short periods or short, long periods. When uh, Richard's taken prisoner, doesn't she write some letters to the Pope? She supposedly wrote some letters to the Pope, yes. Um, certainly un- under her authority, these letters these letters were written. Whether they ever got to the Pope, we don't know. Oh, is that right? That's that, yes, nobody knows, actually. That the, There was a, um, a cleric called Peter of Blois who was very, very eloquent... Um, and the letters exist, um, you can find them online. At, um, there's a particular website which has got noble women's letters on, mm. in, including Eleanor's. And Peter Blois' letters in Eleanor's voice, um, or in Peter Blois' voice, but, you know, dictated, yeah. whatever, are on there, and you really have to make up your own mind. Mm. Some people say they're completely written by Peter Blois. Um, some say that it's, you know, he's perhaps had his wax um, notebook out taking notes and that Eleanor's dictated. Mm. Who knows? Right. But they're there. Yeah, supposedly from Eleanor, and they're very, very passionate. Yeah, and then uh, John Richard, of course, dies, and her other son comes. What was her <coughs> relationship like with John? Do we? I mean, what was it? Did she have the same level of influence under John? Uh, yes, I think so, and I think that people say she hated John. Don't know what they're talking right. about. You find that John was being very naughty when Richard was away and rebelling. Mm. At one point, he was he was being besieged at Windsor, and then suddenly everybody pulls back. Why do they pull back? Because Eleanor tells them to pull back. Um, I mean, she needs to keep the country on, a, on an even keel. But if you've got a son who is basically heir to the throne, mm. you're not going to have him taken by, by your barons because that weakens him. Mm. She can't have the son who's the heir to the throne being weakened. And so in John's interest, she will tell him to pull back. She, When Richard gets home, she mediates between Richard and John, mm. so they come to an alliance. When John comes to the throne, she mediates with the French for him. She goes and fetches her niece, Castile, to come back and be a French queen, which is part of a, a peace treaty. She's constantly working, and it's all to do to, with helping to facilitate John. Whether she may have had a preference for Richard, but at the same time, she never does anything to harm John. The picture you're painting is of an Eleanor who's quite mature decision-making, who's that, yes. a conservative force, as it were, yes. rather than a disrupt, disruptive force. Yes, yes, yes. I, I think so. She is a stateswoman mm. and a woman who bides her time. Mm. And she also has enormous emotional resilience. Mm. You know, of her, of her children, I think she'd only got... When she died, she, I think there, was a, there, were, there were two living. Out of all her, all her children, there were only two who survived yeah. her. Uh, of those children, one had, Richard the Lionheart, had died in her arms of gangrene. Her daughter Joanna had died in her arms uh, in childbirth. She had to come back from those and deal with political mm. situations. She's got tremendous, tremendous emotional resilience. Mm. And also I've talked about William Marshall's um, humanity and diplomacy, mm. and they were good friends. Mm. 
and that makes sense that she would have had similar mindsets. Right. Okay, so she fight. So Eleanor finally uh, dies in Twilight Four, I think. Yes, I would say um, that she is probably responsible for designing those effigies at Fontevraud. Bearing in mind that these effigies were, were lost um, and shoved in a cupboard for ages and then repainted, so um, they're not even sure exactly right. who is who. Uh, the one that's purported to be Henry is clean-shaven, and Richard has a beard. So that's always made me interested, because yes. a beard equals, in the medieval period, gravitas and, and head of right. dynasty and things. So are we looking at the effigies the wrong way around, or did... Did Eleanor give head give Richard a beard to put give make give make to, to yeah. just be be, be a just subtle a fine comment. little subtle bit of yes. one shit. Yes, yes. Uh, because when Gerald of Wales draws Henry, mm. um, his cart it's got it's it's bearded. It's got a beard. Yeah, it's very interesting. So maybe there was that little suggestion. That yes, I have no idea. It, it's a complete theory, but yeah. I do find it fascinating, and it's also interesting that she is reading a book because you know she's the keeper of knowledge. The men are passive. They're just lying there with their mm. staffs in their hands yeah. and their swords are off at their sides. And here's mum and wife, yeah. wife, reading a book. Yeah. Um, a soul, Probably a psalter or a prayer book it will be. But she is reading it. Possibly, being as reading was meant to be read aloud in those days, they have to listen to her for eternity. Mm. Oh, interesting. <laughs> That's a nice thought. Brilliant. Thank you so much. Um, I did want to ask you a couple of general questions. Mm-hmm. So you, you must have read, you know, God knows how many um, history books. Give me a couple of your favourite ones that you'd recommend. In any period, it doesn't need to be done. Oh, well, do yeah, but definitely Robert Bartlett's England, Kings, the Norman yeah. Angevin Kings, because um, it's a great big thick book, but it's written in a very readable style and it will cover everything you want to know. If you want to study the period, or if you're a writer like me and um, you get marooned on a desert island and you've got to write a novel and you can only take one book with you, you take that, it'll have everything in, in, in Gracie. You need to know everything. The other one um, is, is very, it's pretty personal to me, mm. but it's David Crouch's um, biography of William Marshall right. in, the third, in its third edition because it's got a lot of um, new material in it about William that nobody else has written about. And it um, it is the gold standard. What are the, what are the new things about his and David's interpretation? Well, there's a lot more on tournaments right. um, than there were in the other editions. There's the an interesting thing that William may have had an illegitimate son. I was going to. I was going to. May have. Idea. I'm not convinced. Okay. But um, this Gilbert Marshall turns up um, with 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 various bits of land, yeah. and he's def he's definitely a family member, right. if not if not a son. So there are new people arriving. And there's also another piece about his father, where as soon as William is married, um, he has a big mass um, said for his father um, on his father, the anniversary of his father's death. So we find out, his, A, his father's death date, which nobody knew before, yeah. but B, the fact that he had um, enough, um, you know, enough of respect for his father, even after the whole hanging incident, yeah. to have a mass right. um, and feast for him. Yeah. The moment he could afford to do something big enough, yeah. and that's when William is a, is a middle aged man. Great, that's really good. Thank you very much. Right, a pleasure. Thank fantastic. you for doing the interview. Great. Thanks for listening, everyone. Good luck, and I hope to be back in a few weeks' time to restart the story of the Tudors. Even on a budget, quality is non-negotiable. 
That's why Quince is the place to score high-end essentials at 50 to 80% less than similar brands. Get your hands on buttery soft cashmere sweaters from just 60 bucks, Italian leather jackets, and so much more. And the best part about Quince? They exclusively partner with factories committed to safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. Elevate your style without the elevated price tag with Quince. Go to quince.com upgrade for free shipping and 365-day returns.